0: You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio.
1: All right, and welcome to another episode of the Path Bike Shop podcast, which is, of course, brought to you by The Path Bike Shop. This is the show where we talk about all things bike related, from the nuance of head tube angle to our great bike adventures and beyond. Check us out on the web at thepathbikeshop.com, where you can see all the brand new products as it arrives at the shop and also we you can get great deals on clearance and demo bikes. Also if you're a Southern California local make sure to come on by the Tustin shop or the Tribuco Canyon shop and even if you're not a Southern California local make sure to stop by on your travels and catch up with the great staff and maybe even grab a ride with us. For future shows if you'd like to submit any questions for us to answer Go ahead and email sales at the and make sure to put in the subject line podcast questions. Now, whether you're about to kick back, work in your cube, or go for a pedal, please enjoy the show. Alright, guys. So that was the uh, that was the new intro. I love it. Um so Ak, you have a Yes. Yeah, kind so of an agenda for us to start out on?
2: Sure. Some of the some of the things that we were talking a little bit about before we got uh, started recording here was um, the path race team uh, Nathan included was we're up in mammoth uh, let me see a week and a half ago now at the mammoth kamikaze event um, some good racing going on up there there's some really cool uh, upcoming races as well uh, including potentially the big bear enduro and downhill uh, resurrecting some very fun times Um up in up in that area, and we we also were talking about what's the what's the pulse of racing like these days? Like, do we have our finger on the pulse of racing?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, those are all good topics we're going to go into tonight. Um, if you'd like, I can start about at least recapping what happened at the the Mammoth Enduro. Um, I signed up for that race probably about six months ago because with the California Enduro Series stuff. There's been a huge um, sellout on these races. They sell out early. They sell out frequently. Um, and uh, so I headed up there this year, and I just raced the enduro. Um, super burly course this year. There was four stages at Mammoth, and um, the terrain was was really gnarly. Um, people were getting hurt left and right in practice. Um, practice was on Friday Friday, racing was on Saturday for Sport and Beginner. And then uh, Sunday, it was Expert and Pro. Same courses or different courses? Um, It was same courses. So the beginners were running the same courses. But in some of the sections, there were A and B lines. Um, And it was your choice if you wanted to, say, go over a really gnarly rock feature or go around it. Um, Believe it or not, I did not hit all the gnarly rock sections. That's hard to believe. Uh, yeah. W- one of our one of the path racers, Dan, um, went over the bars really hard and um, on one of the gnarly rock drop-ins. It had just a really hard wheel eater transition at the bottom, and he went over into a pile of rocks. And uh, I think they took him down on a board just to be safe, but he was okay. I saw him riding around afterwards, and I think he either bruised a rib or cracked a rib.
0: That was concern to his spinal situation, I think, at first
1: yeah yeah i think the guys were um they just wanted to make sure he was okay so what other sorts of injuries were you seeing collarbones other stuff uh i just saw a lot of people uh crashing and getting kind of scraped up actually uh megan another one of the path bike shop racers um as the day progressed on race day she was just scraped up from hitting the ground um just scrapes outside of her pad zone i guess where the like forearms and stuff, where the pads didn't quite extend down.
0: She did pretty well, I think.
1: Yeah, she did. I think she got like fourth in expert women, fifth, sixth, maybe something like that. She she did she did super solid. She's coming coming along as a really good racer.
0: Um, so you said you skipped some of some of the you did some of the go rounds. What kind of seconds penalties do you think might be associated with that?
1: You know i I don't think it was. A lot, I would say. The one go around that I did, I'm gonna say it cost me maybe five seconds. You think in, that's like a spot. It could have been a spot. It was pretty tight. I got seventeenth in class, and I want to say there was about a two minute span between me and the leader in class. Um, on and the leader was roughly 36 minutes of total race time, and I was in a 38 minute range. How many time segments were there? four total time segments Hmm. so some of them were pretty long um yeah
0: we're talking average about
1: eight minutes for the winners yeah uh some of them were shorter than there was one stage that i want to say was like 14 minutes or so awesome So, so it was it was pretty long um but yeah those some of those rock shoots I felt that the decision that I made at the race was I'm going to be coming into this hot. My arms are going to be tired at a race pace. The risk is going to be higher than in practice. And I felt like 60-40 comfortable on some of these rock segments in practice. So I was like, I'm not going to, when the race jitters are on, I'm not going to risk it. Um, Now, that being said, there's a big drop off at Mammoth. That's about an eight foot wooden ramp to wooden ramp landing that no problem hitting it in race so it i didn't feel like i was being really tentative in the race condition but this cer- certain rock section was just it was messed up it needed I have no doubt it needed a little work and it just had it had this wheel eater that was just it wanted to bite you like big time
0: yeah the conditions at mammoth are pretty legendary a lot of us haven't been to mammoth tell us a little bit more about you know the dirt we've we've heard about it and maybe maybe how,
1: how might it
2: differ from someplace like North Star or other bike parks that maybe you've, you've visited?
1: So, I, I would like to compare it to North Star. Unfortunately, in my 20-year mountain biking time, I have yet to be gone to Tahoe. I have yet to go to North Star. So, I'm ashamed to say I can't really totally compare that. Um. But the one thing about Mammoth is it's loose. It's kitty litter loose. Like when you're carving, you're putting a three- to four-inch track in very loose dirt. It's dusty. It's dry. It's loose. You just have to embrace it. I love that driftiness. I haven't been to Mammoth, but from the sound of it, I think it would be really fun.
2: It's really loose. I I can affirm that I've been there a couple times, pedaled around, not on the the big shuttle uh, lift-assisted trails, but the whole mountain is.
1: Have you guys ridden Baldy? It's been a long time. I've heard the comparison in dirt. Baldy, to me, is way rockier. Mammoth is rocky, but not loose rocky. It's loose dirt with big rocks, big embedded rocks. Baldy is like baseball rocks all over, I think, kind of, and more gravelly, Okay. and Mammoth is more like it's described volcanic as it's, it's volcanic pumicey kitty litter dirt. That's exactly it. There is no loose over hard in mammoth. It's it's loose down <laughs> down to the center of the earth, <laughs> and exactly. that's got to be hard on the bikes too. I think it is. I have a feeling it's probably a little tough on fork seals. I didn't have any particular problems. Um, I definitely went with extra brake pads just in case. But it's hard on tires. Um, that was another thing I was going to talk about. as I I ran a new new rear tire that i was pretty happy with um i ran the new wtb breakout 2.5 tough in the back and uh enjoyed that but yeah i put probably what looked like a good six weeks of wear on it after this weekend of practicing and and racing right right what were you running in the front um schwalby magic mary super gravity two point uh the 235 which measures out about the same as the 25 breakout in the back but uh I've been a big fan of the Magic Mary in the front. Um, that was a recommendation I got in, uh, in France this summer. And uh, one of the photographers, uh, Sven Martin, out there said, best tire, best front tire ever made. Just end of story. The Magic Mary. The Magic Mary. Looks like a motorcycle tire. Pretty much. Pretty much. Big, tall knobs. Yes. Big, tall, sharp knobs. Um, that breakout looks pretty cool. Yeah, I, I was pretty stoked on it. The one cool thing about the uh, WTB tires, I'm actually like, I am switching over, like every new tire I've gotten in the last three months has been a WTB, and I really like their system. It's um, When it comes to casing, it's either light or tough, and when it comes to compound, it's either fast rolling or high grip. And so they have a hard and a soft, and a, and a burly casing, and a and a, and a not-so-burly casing and then you pick your tread pattern and your size from there. So it's it's pretty simple to navigate their stuff and so um I actually on my trail bike, sorry diverging a little bit from Mammoth for a minute, but I just started running the Riddler in the back. Um and uh but really like that breakout in the back. It's it's pretty nice.
2: Yeah, I'm looking at that um looking at the breakout. It's kind of a different tread than a, a divergence from what they've had. Uh, in, in years past, I almost thought it looked a little bit maybe like the
1: the Kenda um oh
2: gosh sorry the navigal yes
1: it's it's way tighter blocked, and the navigal is a um a ramped block, and this one is equal blocked it's square on both edges. I was thinking like racing
0: Ralph on steroids,
1: yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a racing ralph on steroids, but then and the nice thing is I'm actually when it comes to enduro racing, I am buying tires based on weight but i have a minimum weight and i try to get thousand gram tires for safety for racing safety and for what it's worth at mammoth um a fellow racer that i raced with there who oddly enough he is the other racer or one of the other u.s racers from trans provence this year and so i met up with him we rode the whole day together kind of kindred spirit he flatted out on the last stage
0: and torn uh, sidewall or torn casing or
1: I'm I'm not sure I didn't really look at it too closely but I felt his tire and I was like this is not an not a true enduro or downhill case tire which basically for any kind of burly enduro race I make sure I'm getting like a Schwalbe Super Gravity a WTB tough casing. I'm really looking forward to trying the new Maxxis Double Down casing which is DH casing with a folding bead. Um so that that super stiff sidewall like Right now, for me, for this, for Mammoth particularly, EXO tires from Maxis, not enough. Really, not, not safe enough for me.
0: Well, I, I've always felt like downhill tires are maybe the key ingredient in a downhill bike. I'd have to agree with that. It's
2: tires and and the right casing compound are key. It's
0: the it's e- really the difference between confidence and not confidence a lot of the time. True.
1: Well, a big part of the racing, too, is especially with this enduro racing, like, if you flat your hose, like, your day is over, you're, if you're competing for the win in any capacity, you have to be relatively mechanical free, and tires, when you're racing and you're seeing sideways, especially up there, it's 10,000 feet, you're breathing like a dog, you're not making good line decisions all the time, you have to be able to trust your tires to make up for your mistakes.
0: Yeah, and, and just less fold over, and you can l- run lower pressure. So so elevation, did you train for that at all?
1: No, not – so here's, here's kind of how the mammoth situation seems to work, at least for the last three years that I've done this race. It's so late in the season that you're just kind of limping to this race. So as far as training at elevation or really training for this race, I always want to train for it, but by this time in the season, I've kind of lost some of my gusto, and I'm just like – Oh, uh, well, I guess I'm just going. I'm just gonna go race. See how it goes. Did
0: you feel the elevation?
1: Oh, definitely. Feels like you're breathing through a straw. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. and it's uh I mean geez, the top of the top of the one stage is at eleven thousand plus feet, and the base area I want to say is like eight thousand feet. It's actually probably closer to nine thousand because the
2: town itself is eight thousand, and you drive up to the the shuttle the lift area.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And this race stages out a Canyon Lodge. Oh, okay. So you're right.
2: It's probably closer to 8,000.
1: Um, but definitely a fun race. Still, you guys have heard my story about how I feel about California local Enduros. And this one's burly. It earns its name of Enduro Race. It's, it's scary. It's challenging. Um, and it's my third year in a row racing it. And I plan on doing it next year for sure.
0: Cool. Are you going to do the Big Bear Enduro?
1: So uh that's one of the races we got coming up next next week crafts and cranks at snow summit and big bear uh i'm kind of on the fence i is there
0: a big prize for that like there is for the downhill
1: you know i saw some information i don't know about how much prize is in it for the enduro obviously i'm not in that kind of running i would yeah i would do make a good run at the expert class or Still Typically. though,
0: if there is, it's going to bring an element and it's going to bring some racers and it's going to make make some excitement.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um
0: I was googling around, I can't find anything on that race right now.
1: It's it's up there. I think you just got to google like Big Bear Crafts and Cranks. Um I'm I'm considering going, but uh and it, nothing to be said on the race. The race sounds like a great experience i uh i would like to make a whole weekend of it and i unfortunately due to my personal schedule i just can't um so i would be doing a day of race situation and uh it's just so late in the season right now that my gusto for racing is is uh is a little on the low side (laughs) it's it's tough i've I've raced a lot this season you've done a lot of cool races
2: yeah, that's definitely true. Well, who knows, Nathan? You know, it might be a good chance for you to go up and, and enjoy, enjoy the race scene without uh, putting a lot of pressure on yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I might just have to drag my butt up there and, and, uh, and sign up for the race. I, the nice thing is, at least for pre riding, I'm familiar enough with the trails that I actually don't feel like I really need to pre ride the, the courses. I, I have a good feeling about where it's going to go.
0: So, what are the trails that they're going to ride
1: in the Enduro? I believe they are going to race uh, Miracle Mile, West Ridge, which are basically the two main downhills in the park, plus uh, Fall Line all the way down, which that's the one I'm excited about. Yeah, that's I'd be the, excited
0: about Fall Line as well.
1: That's the natural trail. It's going to get rowdy, throwing rocks. I'm I'm really not excited about racing in a bike park over big tabletops. <laughs> well, those
0: trails are totally just um, kind of like BMX tracks that are slightly downhill.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'd be... That part actually makes me a little nervous. Right now, if you told me the race was going to be three natural trails, I would be 90% in. Yeah,
0: you got to practice your scrubs.
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. My, my scrubs are a little weak right now.
0: So I, I, I read somewhere, and I'm I'm having trouble tracking it down, the downhill event that they're putting on up there is going to have a
1: $5,000 um, cash payout for the winner. You know, I, I saw that as well. Um, That's pretty big. Yeah, definitely. I mean, those guys are making a run at, at, at coming back. Um, maybe it was on Facebook. It's interesting. The fact sheet doesn't,
2: doesn't have information on that, but um, yeah, three deep in all categories.
0: I mean, that might really get some names out there to try to collect $5,000. Yeah,
1: definitely. So, I mean, for that point, it may be going up there just to see who it draws out. I mean... If that's a couple thousand dollar payout, that's going to be worth it for maybe Cam Zink to make a run up there, Kyle Strait, maybe Gwen's in town and just needs a little extra cash.
0: (laughs) Yeah, does he still live around here somewhere? I don't know.
1: I think Gwen lives in the Inland Empire. I know that's his kind
0: of, you know, where he came up.
1: Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting to see how it... um, how it how it pans out? It, you'd think almost
0: it might be a race, even for um, maybe a Lopes with his jumping skills and all that. You know, he can. I mean, really, when I think about those trails and and winning that race, it's it's who can scrub the all those tabletops the best and carry a bunch of speed
1: through that jump line. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So, to that point, I I don't know what first place is, but. Let's let's just say, for argument's sake, there's a 1000 bucks. That may be worth the drive for Lopes to go up for the well, day. No. I
0: mean, first place for the downhill is, I'm pretty sure, it's
1: $5,000. Oh, it's not $5,000 total. It's $5,000 for the winner. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Now, that's really exciting. Now, just to give you a frame of reference, a couple of years ago, I did, uh, or last year, I did um, Whiskey 50, and I believe first place gets about $7,000, and that was enough to get Christoph Sauzer over from Switzerland.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a nice bonus for most professional cyclists. I think not too many professional cyclists live in that income bracket where they're going to turn their nose up at that.
2: Yeah, for sure. Man, that's uh, it's kind of interesting to see, man, was it the, the heyday of the early 90s with the,
0: the large purses and, and what have you to what it is now? Yeah, it really doesn't seem like, especially for the U.S. athletes, like there's much of a pathway to a true professional racing career, unless unless you're really one of the top two or, or so that can go over to Europe and actually compete in
2: the
1: European. You know what? So uh, I I've, I've just confirmed. Um, it's it's oh I'm sorry I. I had it
0: confirming confirming
1: i'm confirming big news downhillers unite upcoming crafts and cranks october 10th and 11th Ten thousand total prize purse first place five thousand dollars second place pro men downhill twenty five hundred dollars uh that's about i'm i'm kind of piecing it together on facebook right now but uh oh here we go third 500 oh that's a big drop off uh, pro women. Oh, there's some people going to be not happy about this. Pro women first place, twenty five hundred dollars. Pro men first place, five thousand dollars.
0: So there was some debate in the shop today
1: about this, and
0: you know, everyone, everyone I would say who is debating this issue falls on the side of of the overall debate of women should get equal pay. And there was kind of a does that argument apply to this situation? And uh, <clears throat> you know. We're talking about a much, probably a much smaller participation level for one thing. You know, and that alone is, it has to factor in somehow.
1: Yeah. Th- and th- that's come up before is like sometimes, let's say, I've seen this happen before where men's pro races pay out, say, 10 deep. But I think it, I think it actually occurred at whiskey 50. I, I don't, don't get me wrong, but the hypothetical situation is, Pro women's participation is so much lower that essentially last place pro woman could walk away with money.
2: You know that's kind of interesting. In this case, you know I, I've heard the I've heard this argument uh, in the case of women's tennis, where women's tennis players are actually being paid equal to the men uh, on the on the pro tennis you know tours, and it's in part because the sponsors are driving that are saying the women's you know women's women's viewership and and sponsorship dollars advertising dollars bring in equal if not more than than men so tv ratings what have you and women's tennis is is, is equally uh, as strong so it's interesting does does that you know does the disparity in in men's and women's uh, prize money in mountain biking local events make sense
0: well, we don't have the same. I don't think we have the same participation ratios or the same, um, you know, viewer ratios that tennis has. I mean, I'd like to come out and just say I think I I'm, I land firmly on the side of women do not get equal pay as it stands, and they should. And I'm not so sure that it needs to be equal in this case.
1: So here, here's just a mathematical situation that, and this is kind of where I personally sit is that men's and women's payout should be equal for equal places, but go the same percentage of field in depth. So in other words, if first place gets five grand, they both get five grand. If there's 20 men and 10 women, the top five women get payout all the way equal to fifth, but maybe the top 10 men get payout. So it's same, That's per- interesting. same, per- same payout, same places, but same percentage depth.
0: What if the payout was a, was a factor of the number of
1: participants? That, well, that's basically what it would be. But,
0: I mean the payout for first place and second
1: place. I think that's where it gets very dicey. Once it gets – I think a, a win is a win and if a win pays five grand, a win pays five – this is just my personal opinion. If a win pays five grand, a win pays five grand. But if there's two pro women – then only first place let's say in your plan is to go 50 deep then first place is the only one that gets a payout whereas if there's 20 men the top 10 guys will get a you know a a falling scale payout
0: so in support of that argument i would say you know what's good about that is it's going to encourage women part- you know women to participate which i think ultimately is good for the sport and good for good for the race and good for the venue and good for the event on the downside you have men paying into a purse that they can't win
1: that's true. There's always pros and cons to all yeah. this. Unfortunately, there's there's no perfect answer. But the reality is, women's participation is lower, um, and sometimes they get paid the same, or sometimes, unfortunately, they get paid less, and they never get paid more. Which that's got to suck to be a girl racer. <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> yeah. In that regard, past that, it's got to be equally good to be a a good woman racer versus a good guy racer. But the payout situation, unfortunately, it's a it's a complex situation that's somewhat politically charged.
0: Yeah, yeah. And shredding is shredding and, and having fun is having fun. So. so that's what it's really all about.
2: I agree. So we're kind of on the on the topic of of racing and and you know we have some some cool enduro enduro events that that have been uh, either recent past or, or upcoming, um, I'm going to share a little experience that I had with racing recently, and uh, it was a local cross country race uh, here at a, you know, it was a, it was a 16 miles uh, laps for me probably should have been in the low 40 minute range, um, you know, winning times laps were probably in the. Uh, closer to, to mid thirties to low thirties, uh, types of range. And so, uh, one of the things that I found was we, we started the race. That's overall winning times. That's cat, cat one pro. Exactly. Exactly. The real, yeah. So not your category, not my category. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I think if I would have, if I would have, you know, we went out pretty good. I was racing sport. And felt right, like I was riding well with me, in myself uh, for the first for the first lap. There's two laps, uh, and first climb on the second lap, I just knew
0: I was in trouble. So what what trail was that?
2: This was uh, riding in the flatlands. It was here at the Santiago Oaks. It's a local local uh, wilderness park with um, lots of steep ups and steep downs. Uh, and this cross country race uh, had some. Decently technical, uh, descents, uh, some good steep climbs and a decent amount of flatland riding. So, um, start of the race is about a mile or so of flatland riding into a, a, a deceptively steep pitch over a dam, uh, and then several ups and downs
0: halfway into the, yeah, sex- that, that gravelly climb up the dam can be a, can be a spot. And that
2: was where I knew I was in trouble.
1: <laughs> I've, I've done that race before, and I've that, that start out that race out to the dam is uh demoralizing.
0: <laughs> I, I've raced that particular section of trail on, on group rides,
2: <laughs> and I started climbing the second, uh, the second climb, or that's not even you know, the, the real first climb. And right. it's the first time that I ever said to myself mentally, I'm gonna DNF. <laughs> That's, gonna, that's a tough did one you consider the
0: intentional flat <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I, I I actually had planned out in my mind where I was going to DNF our our friend uh, and local fast guy Josh Jaco a path race team member uh, and ambassador was at the top of the second climb it's the top of the second which starting with a B <laughs> uh, climb that's okay it's podcast you that's can right. say it <laughs> <laughs> it's the top of the second bitch uh, and I told myself I knew he was going to be taking pictures. I'm going to get to that point and just tell him, "Josh, I'm done." And I I was I was climbing up to that spot head down and I was about maybe maybe 5 yards from him. I didn't even have the chance to look up and he just says in his in his gravelly in his sort of gravelly like nasally voice he's like, "Oh, you're almost done." i didn't even tell him i was gonna dnf and i'm like i can't dnf now (laughs) so struggled up the rest of that climb uh struggled through the race
1: the rest of the race
2: and i felt terrible
1: yeah it's a i've done that race before that that's a it's a tough course um those races are starting to pull out some talent Especially when it comes to horsepower. Now, here's what I want to know, and I, I, I know this about you as a rider. Did you feel like you made up some time on the downhills?
2: <laughs>
1: the first lap, I did excellent.
2: The second lap, I just was trying to keep the rubber side down. It was embarrassing.
1: <laughs> it was. There's a ten minute difference between first and second lap. There's, uh. You have my full sympathy. I have done worse.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's that thing where once you start to feel like you're not really competing well, it's hard to, you know. There's no breaks in in that race. The the downhills aren't really a rest, and the uphills are punchy and always there. (laughs) That's the truth. I, you know,
2: it, it was so bad. I got to the top of the last climb, and I got off my bike.
1: Oh, geez. You know what? Just, just, just for fun, because for our listeners, I'm experimenting with technology tonight. I, I'm just going to throw one out for you. Dios mio, man. <laughs> That's the
2: truth. That is the truth. So I kind of looked back on it, and I kind of wondered why. Why did it happen? I.
0: Why did you bonk? Why did I bonk? Was it preparation? Was it hydration? Was it mindset? Was it emotional? emotional peaking?
2: I think it was I think it was nutrition. It was pre-race nutrition or during race nutrition. I think it was both. So pre-race nutrition the night before um I don't think I know. So the night before I didn't eat dinner. That's got to be a factor. And we, I could skip skip breakfast or lunch, but dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had baseball practice. We got home late. Needed to get, you know, try to get to sleep. And it was, I was like, well, I'm.
1: Yeah. Well, one thing that, for for the other mountain bike radio listeners out here, and this is something I've shared with these guys. And, um, Ak I think you can, uh, you'll learn a ton from this. Listen to Apex Nutrition Podcast and listen to everything that Kelly Jennings says. I, about two years ago, I started listening to her started following her rules of thumb about fluid hydration um uh, electrolyte carb carb intake turned everything around for me for writing. it's wealth of knowledge listen to her show dig into the archives find her show it is um the time you listen to her information is worth its weight in gold sweet new podcast <laughs>
2: Awesome. And I've actually listened to one of her podcasts after a tip from Nathan, and, and I agree. I'm, after this weekend's, uh, past weekend's experience, I'm definitely going to go look for more of those.
0: So what would she say about skipping dinner, in your opinion?
1: Well, so the, the skipping – I I don't want to speak for for Kelly Jennings, but I've listened to most of her shows, and your nutrition building up throughout the week and your nutrition the night before, that's a whole different ballgame. But at least for the race – I'll. I'll, I'll start out by, based on my learnings from her show, this is how I have handled XC races, similar to the length that you did, Ock, is that I will have all my bottles ready for the race. And for that race, let's say you were going to race for an hour and a half, I would have made sure I had at least one big bottle. Actually, I would have done a small bottle each lap and gotten a handoff. But I would have started with... In the morning, I would have used Kelly Jennings' shake or her smoothie. I have the recipe at home, but I use her smoothie. You can actually find it if you just Google Kelly Jennings' smoothie recipe on active.com. It will pop up. It has her whole recipe. And that's what I drink the morning of a race because jitters and stuff like that. A smoothie is super easy to get down. And then basically the rule of thumb is hour one... What you eat and drink in hour one feeds hour two, hour two, hour three. So for a race, what that what I started doing is I start accounting for hour zero to feed hour one. And so what I was doing is mixing a, mixing a drink that was very similar to a race drink for the warm-up for, say, the 45 minutes or an hour before. Obviously not warming up that whole time, but drinking that the whole time. And then in the bottle, I make sure I get... Uh, and I'm reiterating the numbers from Kelly's show, but it's 60 to 90 grams of carbs per bottle per hour, 18 to 24 ounces of water per bottle per hour, and then um, I believe she says 400 to 700 milligrams of sodium mm. per bottle per hour. But for me, I'm a super heavy sweater, and I go closer to a thousand. Now that's just for me. People listen to Kelly Jennings. I'm not an I'm not an expert by any means. Um, but that has worked for me, and I am guessing, Ak, that you, what was in your bottles and what you ate, was nowhere close to that.
2: That is the truth. And I, I actually rode my bike to the event, which is about a thirty-five minute pedal, which might have been a little longer than a warm-up than I actually needed, without eating between the time I ate breakfast, which was my NutriBullet shake, which was a mix of protein and and pretty healthy. But yeah, so I was definitely un- way underhydrated the day of the race, and you know, and under under nutri- nu- nutri- <laughs> nutriented, nutriented, yes, exactly, <laughs> nourished, nourished. <laughs> nourished, undernourished. There That's we right. go, there we go. Well, what was interesting is I ran into um, a local pro, pro racer and another path, path guy, uh, Chris Heinrich, and he had one of the coolest little. Um, Bottle handoff setups that I've seen. Uh, bottle on a stand, grab on the go. That's the truth. It was a. It was an old halogen lamp because they have those those old halogen torch lamps have a, a sand weighted Nice. <laughs> I, I'm envisioning it already. Yep. 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 With a mic similar to mic stand uh, uh, microphone holders uh, grips holding holding two bottles. Yep. That's, That's a- cool
1: that's something i've seen at a lot of the cross country races and i've i've done various ways of doing that i find like a stump or a hay bale and put something down i have i can kind of grab a bottle from pretty low but a lot of guys have like a stake or something basically it looks like a little almost like a little mailbox or something and then so the guys can self self feed at these cross country races so you don't have to hope that your friend's wife is there or that someone will be available that you don't totally know if they know what you look like at the race it works out really well and I've I've done it before I've I've actually even left it on the ground and do like a cycle cross run and grab the bottle jump back on and go um, there's a dozen ways you can do it but having that little rig is pretty nice It was impressive. Have you ever seen anyone get pirated? i I have not seen anybody get pirated. But I did have an experience this season at a race. I put my bottle on the table. What I didn't realize is there was going to be a lot of people in the pit zone, and this was neutral feed water. And I came into the pit screaming, get out of the way, get out of the way, I got to get my bottle. And then, uh, so everybody had to part the seas and let me grab my bottle off the table. (laughs) It was kind of entertaining.
2: And by the way, I have seen Nathan's um, get off the bike, cyclocross run, and jump on the bike. It is an impressive, it's an impressive
0: feat. One fluid motion.
1: One fluid motion. Now, also caveat, I'm racing expert, I'm a struggling expert, typically in the bottom half, so if I lose 10 seconds grabbing a water bottle, it's not making or breaking much. <laughs> but
2: I actually think you're probably making up time on with your, with your jump off the bike run and Compared to other people self feeding.
1: <laughs> it, it it could be, it could be for sure. But I guess the message to other racers out there is even if your wife or your girlfriend or your mom or whatever can't go to the race and do a handoff, don't be scared. Stash your bottle somewhere. Get some bright colored bottles. Sometimes it kinda helps. And uh don't worry. If you lose five seconds, it's quite worth it to grab the bottle.
2: Well worth it. No one water bottle for an hour and hour and fifteen to hour and a half of racing for sure.
1: Uh, yeah, d- definitely a tough one to to battle there. So we've talked a, a couple talked about a
2: couple of different types of racing today. You know, we've we've talked about um, the enduro race that Nathan Nathan rode in. We've talked about my I don't know if you could have called it racing, but my participation in a race type event uh, this past weekend. And hey, racing's of, racing. That's the truth. And one of the things we've we've been talking offline a little bit about is styles of racing. And having having our fingers on the pulse of local race scene, what makes successful races, um, what helps to make successful races in, in any
1: given area.
2: Tani, Nathan?
1: Well, I'd I'd like to just start off by one thing. I had an interesting conversation with um, Luke from The Path last night, and, and it's kind of two, two concepts I want to tie together really quick, and I think it'll give us some interesting food for thought is that there's no doubt that big adventure enduro racing is huge. It's people are into it, people are watching it, people are paying attention to it, bikes are being made for it. So we have that phenomenon happening, growing very fast, very aggressively. There also seems to be a general movement towards outdoor activity being more of a focus these days. It's less... I'm seeing companies, I'm seeing images, I'm seeing kind of maybe the zeitgeist of the time, if you will, going towards enjoy the outdoors, the adventure of the outdoors. I believe that the people who want to race and this enduro adventure kind of racing, it ties those two concepts of the time, if you will, together. I'd, just maybe a food for thought. Yeah, I think so. And I think it
0: attracts it attracts a lot of types. It attracts that and it it attracts the kind of bike enthusiast like the hardcore bike enthusiast who's a mountain biker and it attracts the person who likes the handling and skill side of the game but maybe doesn't like quite the roll of the dice of the 3 to 4 minute downhill run
1: well it, another thing i actually discussed with a coworker today and um your race time to equipment investment for downhilling is a tough pill to swallow sometimes
0: for me the thing with downhilling is that, you know, in a in a three to six minute race, say the winner is gonna be taking some chances that with some exceptions, the winner's often gonna be taking some chances that you, you you're not gonna it's 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 not a, a career long maneuver. It's a that race trade off.
1: For sure. I, I would say there's even some truth to that at the high pro level. I mean, obviously, there's yeah. much younger racers in downhill.
0: That's what I'm... I mean, I think at every level, in order in order to win a race that's that long, it, you're going to have the people who laid it on the line and didn't crash, the people who laid it on the line and did crash, and the people who, you know, towed the line.
1: Yeah, definitely. and at, I think once it gets to that downhill elite <laughs> racing level... <clears throat> There's not a lot of room for playing it safe and winning.
0: No. You have to be really on the edge of the hole. The whole, and you really have to know where that edge is. And I think that applies
2: not – I think that applies almost to every class of downhill outside of beginner. Well,
0: so, and just to clarify too, with enduro, the runs might be long enough that you can't maintain that. You try to maintain that edge. So, okay, let's say there's – there's four four downhill races and the average winning time is say 5 minutes and then you have an enduro where the where the average winning time for one race is say 20 minutes so your total race time is the same in the downhill race maybe you have two victories and a second place and a crash in the enduro that's just a sixth place
1: yeah definitely i and one of the things that i've felt maybe my my age, my experience in the race is and funny experience at uh, at the kamikaze enduro this weekend, I was racing with a friend um with a friend's son. So um I'm I'm thirty-two and I've been riding and racing for twenty years. This young buck, he's thirteen years old and he was hanging out and racing with us. And uh one thing I tried to impart to him is that enduro is a war of attrition. Um and that's doing that super long race overseas this year really taught me that is that a lot can happen in that much race time. Now, at the same time, I may be kind of fooling myself and trying to lean back on my senior experience. And obviously, I'm not combating for the, for the lead. But uh, the other guy I was racing with in my class was getting a little bit better times with me, but flatted. And so ultimately, I beat him
2: right, and I think, going back to Tawny's example about four downhill races in a in a series the the crash maybe
0: doesn't even take you out of the podium what well, and in a, right and I then, think what I'm trying to say is maybe if you rode the style that you rode Nathan, you might have gotten. Say, just for the sake of argument, let's say you would have rode the style that you rode and gotten third at four downhill races. And maybe that young man would have gotten, say, a first and a second and a third and a and a, a tenth. Right. It, it quite possibly. And the and the Enduro equivalent is just you beat him.
1: Right. I I personally right. Part of what draws me to the enduro is that I do think it favors the senior, the experience, knowing how to get your bike to finish the event, knowing how to pack your tools in case you need to fix something. Knowing how to keep yourself going fast but not on the edge. Right. and I Obviously, what we're seeing a lot of retired downhill racers making good careers in international enduro racing. Like they're, They might be feeling something very similar.
0: And some of the XC racers as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. We're, oddly enough, I think um, I saw on the internet f- the finale race in Italy, the e- de- last EWS stop, Julian Absalon was in there racing.
0: That's very interesting. Well, and Carl Decker's a pretty good indoor racer when he does it, I think.
1: For sure. When he decides to race it, he he kills it, at least locally. Adam Craig's in there all the time. Yeah, for sure.
2: So it's kind of interesting. So, so it the The enduro or kind of the the big adventure racing tying together with kind of the kind of outdoors lifestyle aspect of it, do you think that's pushing us away from um more uh uh more straight if you could call it spandex clad criterium? strictly race focused events and into more of a almost not maybe community like experience of the entire race event itself not just the race
1: oh absolutely one of the one of the buzzes at every enduro race is that you get to you get to just cruise the uphills and hang out with your buddies that's for sure that that aspect of the enduro racing is really drawing people in whereas xc racing for example if i go to you with an you know here's the experience is i'm gonna go race cross country with you okay cool i pick you up from your house we drive out to the race we get there we line up maybe in different classes maybe not either way race day starts see you later rock let's
0: see who's the best at fitness
1: yeah let's see who's the best and in all likelihood, not going to see all day, not going to talk to you. If I do, my tongue's going to be hanging out of my mouth. I'm going to be blowing bubbles. If we're close in fitness, let's see who wants to experience more pain today. E- exactly. I think, I think I've think i had that experience with you out at
2: Fontana several times.
1: <laughs> Quite, yeah, but it's been a while, but yeah, it definitely <laughs> happened. But So now, now here's the other experience. We're going to go do an enduro race. And I've had this experience with uh, some friends, especially at the – local uh, rim nordic race series very kind of low-key very small enduros um everybody just kind of hangs out me like it would be like hey Ock, you want to go up to stage one now yeah let's go we just cruise chill chill climbing even lower than we normally would because we know we're conserving energy we all hang out kind of shoot the shit make our run time i wait for you at the bottom you finish up a couple of minutes behind me and then we go oh man that was cool yeah that was and we recap the race Maybe get a snack, maybe hang out. Make sure our bikes are working well. Go do it again. We do that four times throughout the day. Sounds like fun.
2: Yeah, definitely. H- how long does that experience
1: typically last? <laughs> That's a very loaded question. Mm-hmm. That depends on the race organizer situation. Um, typically, at, for the small local enduros, it's better part of the day. You know, four four to six hours from when you set out in the morning to when you wrap up the last stage.
2: And say, how about at Mammoth? How, how long was that kind of race day for you?
1: Mammoth, I believe I started... I got on the lift at 8.45 in the morning, and I want to say I had a beer in hand on the deck about 12.15. Oh,
2: excellent. Sounds like a great,
0: great day of racing.
1: Uh, definitely. It was a Sierra Nevada and the Sierra Nevadas. <laughs> so going back a little bit to, like...
0: It, enduro is taking racers from other race disciplines. I, th- I think Enduro is mainly taking racers from downhill and then some from these kind of like non-dot, for example, where where it's – it's for your typical XCN racer, it, it may be – feels like an Enduro race in some ways.
1: Well, just anecdotally, in my particular case, um, for the Mammoth Kamikaze race, last year I raced cross-country and Enduro. That was too much. I did not race cross country this year. And there was a, it was the same weekend conflicting with our local non-dot cross country race. I chose to race Enduro. And, and I've raced on the numbers more cross country races uh, this year than Enduro races. But when the choice comes up, if there's a conflict, uh, I go Enduro every time.
0: But I think for, you know, the groomed cross country, like the high school stuff and um, over the hump and those sorts of races, um, I don't think those are those are losing any, anything to
1: speak of to enduro. No, I, I definitely don't think. And those, I think, have a little bit different construct and a little bit. Um, I would say they're. Those races are not in a competitive market space. In other words, those are not competing for Saturday race time. Um, High school mountain bike racing is, I think, a little bit different beast in that it's um, high school athletics to an extent. Um, the the over-the-hump race series, for for the listeners that don't know, it's a Tuesday night race series here in Southern California in the summer that draws amazingly huge crowds. Like over 500 people. Like over 500 racers, people. Racers. Racers. Racers.
0: Plus, plus lots of spectators.
1: Yes. Um, but logistically, you could not do an enduro in that tam- same time frame. Or or you really couldn't have 500 racers in an, in an Enduro event. No, you, you couldn't do it in the same time frame. So, possibly, more as a question, not as a statement, that comparison may not be a fair comparison.
0: I'm it, just saying I don't think they're losing participation to Enduro. I think downhill is.
1: Uh, yes, quite possibly. And just for, for what it's worth, Kamikaze Games, the Enduro sold out uh Quite a bit ahead of time at six hundred racers. Oh, really?
0: So you can do that many?
1: Yes. Now, interesting, very interesting fact, though. Um, and if any listeners are at all interested, go take a look at the results. And I do not know why this happened. I am not kidding. If you look in the classes, it was close to forty percent DNS. Forty percent did not start. That signed up and said they were going to race. It was. It's crazy. Really interesting. Was there weather? so we we talked about it quite a bit over the weekend um there was not weather um i think a lot of i personally think a lot of people signed up early um and then to grab a spot but ultimately didn't um you know whatever they couldn't get up there that weekend for sure anecdotally and i don't know how many there were some people who practiced the course and said too much
2: that's very interesting if I could take a step back to, to the the high school race scene, and then the and, and the the over the hump, one of the things that I've experienced at the over the hump is is it really is an experience. I could take my family out there, and I could do the race, and my family would have a great evening. Um, they would get to enjoy the outdoors for you know from four till eight, um, listen to some music. Uh, eat some eat some food, uh, watch some mountain bike racing, and and I hear I was listening to youth movement on mountain bike radio podcasting, uh, and I get the sense that it's sort of a similar experience at the at the high school events that families come out to a location they're either camping or staying local they it's it's high school athletics it's a family event. Uh, it's it's a whole almost it's an experience. Uh, exposure to the outdoors, kind of like you know, what Nathan was saying earlier on, and it's almost maybe there's a common thread here. The enduro event allows people to experience that in a different way, but you know, similar in the sense that it's it's a whole experience. Uh, there's a sense of community. There's a sense of connection. And maybe some of these other races are, are maybe losing that. Yeah, maybe a, a really
0: pleasant hangout area is part of the key. I don't know. Did they have that at Mammoth?
1: Uh, Yeah, definitely at Mammoth. Um, they have access to the, the Canyon Lodge. Um, and also the Mammoth Kamikaze race um, had a whole expo or small expo. Like products? Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of uh, brands there showing off product uh, just off the top of Five ten intense, uh, YT, um, uh, Shimano was there. Probably a dozen others that I can't remember offhand.
2: That is a cool place to host a race. Mammoth, any of those locations, whether you're at Canyon Lodge or whether you're up at the at the main lodge, those are those are fantastic, epic places to hang out. Pull out a beach chair, grab a cooler, and you're you're set.
0: Venue's cool. Venue's a big deal.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I wonder
2: how much timing in the year comes, you know, plays a part of it. So um, like for example, uh, uh, training for uh, Downeyville, which is a, a California race out here, I suspect people are familiar with it, uh, is a little bit earlier in the year. and there's cross country, there's all Mountain, there's downhill at that event. Um, people are are training to to peak for that in what is that April, May? Well don't forget, Downeyville is the all mountain world championship. That's very true too. So so to try and hold on to I was talking with again another local racer who was saying to try and hold on to that, if you're training for that, to try and hold on to that all the way until September, October, November. Like how much I do I wonder plays into um the type of race late in the year as well.
1: Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Um I'm I'm only about three or four years in of actual programmed training, and I've done it maybe seventy percent effort and accuracy of using a training program. Um, It's tough though. You can't. It's very tough to stay at a high level for a long time. It's and talking to guys that have done it more senior. It's not a good plan to try to do that you you have to make compromises you have to make priorities now that doesn't mean you can't participate in the races but you got to have priorities priorities and, and expectations right absolutely absolutely um and that's kind of one of the things in southern california like we have good riding weather year round right. not kidding year round we can we can have a mountain bike race any month of the year no problem um sometimes even our winter months are the better months to be racing uh so as a California mountain bike racer, you just can't do it all.
2: Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I, I maybe fall into to even even a deeper trap in the sense that I commute on my bicycle to work. And I, I find there are times when I, I try and, and spend a little more focused training using my time on the bike into work or or, or after work, whether it be race pace training or or interval training. Um you know, I do this three hundred days out of the year because I can in, in California. So for me, getting up and down, you know, getting up or taking breaks from training is, is a little bit more difficult. And I so I, I wonder if I not over train, but like under train too often. <laughs> you know?
1: Quite quite possibly. I mean when it uh Yeah, that that's a tough one. And that's the challenge of racing in California and I think the guys that know how to take advantage of the weather here locally that are at that kind of high elite level um, have a huge advantage. Um, but they also have to just be careful and make priorities. Um, actually, one of our uh, local female racers, you know, I was, had a conversation with her and she peaked a little early in the season and, and had a tough time, whereas her competitors are all around the country and forced into a little bit more of a prescribed season and peaking time. I feel like it it's
0: a athlete dependent a little bit. I think there's some athletes who can do that kind of lifestyle of of readiness and others who are more kind of going kind to of peak and valley. And everyone, certainly to compete at the most elite levels you're going to need to peak at the right time. That's very true.
2: Yeah. So maybe I don't know maybe moving on uh, a a little bit is you know different racers have different fantasies about when they lay down at night and their bike is leaning against their bed and they're they're fantasizing dreaming about that <laughs> that bike ride right and some people go to sleep with their downhill bike leaning against their bed and some people go to sleep with their Six inch in in bikes leaning against their bed, and others could be a road bike, could be an XC racer boy bike, for sure. And so where I'm going with this is, is you know, Tony, when people walk into the the path bike shop and, and they're looking for a bike, you know, and whether they be getting into the sport or they've been in it for a while, and they're saying, "Dude, I just read about that." New Kona hey hey trail that came out you know it's got it's got you know sexier geometry than than two years ago or or they say man that that new Bronson that just came out or nomad that that you know the carbon nomad what you know what are some of your questions that you that you kind of walk through or or thoughts and in, in providing
0: some some guidance to them Well, I think a lot of times people are Coming in, not even that far along, more even just, do I want a 29er? Do I want a 27 and a half? How much travel do I want? And um, like we've talked about before, uh, I really think a great way to approach it is what is that person's riding fantasy? In other words, like you say, when they're picturing themselves on the bike, what are they picturing? are they picturing? Are they picturing hammering up a steep technical climb? Are they picturing laying down a bunch of horsepower on a moderate climb? Are they picturing leaning the bike over as far as they can and, and imagining the sound of the tires kind of ripping into the dirt and loading up and unloading? Um, are there wheels on the ground? Or are there wheels off the ground?
1: I think those are some awesome questions. Um, just for my curiosity, I'm wondering what are- – what uh, what are you kind of feeling is the trend going on at the shop right now? Like what, uh, where are people leaning? What what uh, what bikes are getting taken home from the pound quite frequently these days? So I think both in terms of
0: in terms of competition and in terms of of lifestyle riding, a lot of the bikes are designed to be. Fun to ride in all conditions, but really to shred and to to really um, showcase your whatever skills you have on the downhill and um, gain some confidence on some gnarlier sections of trail. There's still a big contingency of of riders who are in it for the fitness or in it for the nature and really don't have a fantasy about having their tires leave the ground or about how hard their tires might rip into the ground and make a, a sound. Um, good sound. But in my mind, a lot of times those are the silent majority actually. Like they may maybe the majority of the people that come through the store, maybe have a little bit of that ripping shredding fantasy, but more, um, want to keep some fitness and want to enjoy the outdoors and enjoy their friend's company. Um, So there, you know, there's a huge, to me, this is a really beautiful part of this is that there's a huge um, range of bicycles and a huge range of uses and a huge range of riders. And the other thing that I like to point out is that your riding fantasy can change. Um, my riding fantasy at times has been, um, you know, spending eight hours in the Santa Ana Mountains enjoying maybe two or three descents, you know, of – of and two or three climbs of, you know, three to 5,000 feet each. And at other times, it's been leaning the bike over and p- bouncing off a little pocket berm and then floating over that next little rock section and, you know – and then at other times it's been a jump line, and at other times it's been it at other times it's been you know like can I climb that waterfall section at on shoots at oaks or can I can I make it up meadows on my single speed or you know my riding fan I've had a lot of riding fantasies and I can't say what my next one's going to be and I can't say that it's not going to be tomorrow. So,
1: well the nice the nice thing is the industry is serving this. Varied interest, well, right now there is something for everybody. Every nuance, every every little nook and cranny of the sport, there's good product out there right now, which is kind of cool time to be in the sport.
0: But I do think that the the trends favor flow a little bit, and I don't necessarily mean that the trail is easy or that it's a jump trail, which both can be connotations of like flow or a flow trail. But I just mean that um, it's not about creeping up on something and picking your way through it. That, that, and that has been my riding fantasy. And I think all of our riding fantasies at different times, but I think th- the group think right now carries a little bit more speed, um, finds a trail with some more kind of turns that you can really rip. And
1: for sure, for, for whatever it's worth, I've been doing, uh, or this summer I'm kind of winding down, but I was doing some after work solo rides and, uh, one of the trails I was chasing down, um, was super turny. I was doing some Laguna rides in the evening, which really nice to do if you ever get a chance, especially in the summertime. Sun's going down over the ocean. You can see Laguna. It's really nice. But uh, one trail I was hitting every time was the Turny Carvey trail, um, and it was it was pretty fun. I'm not. I do not want to name this trail. I'm not 100 percent sure of its status. Is it in the proximity proximity of BFI, uh, or no? It's more Liso. It's uh, kind of the wilderness near, the, near, near El Moro. I think it's actually a legit trail. Actually, you know what? I am 95% sure it's legit. I'll go ahead and name it. At least the locals call it BVD. I think it has a different name. That's the old name, but it's super windy, super turny. In fact, I'm sure. There's a sign at the bottom. I think it's okay. <laughs> um, but it's flowy. It's flowy and turning. And what's flowy for one person might not be flowy for another person. It's flowy on my nomad. <laughs> so which it's a little rocky at the bottom, but that thing gobbles it up. Um but just a, I, I guess kinda carrying on with what you're saying, like, you know, kinda things are going to flowy kind of the experience. Um I'm and maybe you can confirm this. I'm hearing a little buzz around the shop that uh handful of employees might be getting, and something we talked about the last show, Hanzo Aluminum. Well, I am. Oh, that's. I think you might be the third path employee I've talked to so far.
0: That, I think I came clean on this in a previous podcast. That my, my frame is here. Nice. I am, I am sourcing a boost tub as we speak.
1: I I had the I had the exact conversation with Eric at the Live Oak Shop. Uh, this uh, before we started the show, he he got one for his wife.
0: Oh yeah, Leslie. Yeah, Leslie's gonna, yeah. Leslie's quite a rider.
1: She's going to XC race it.
2: Awesome. That's that's I think a, a great bike for some of the local XC races. Uh, we we talked about non dot non dot adventures. Uh, uh, their their race series. I think that Hanzo Hanzo Al is going to be a fantastic bike to race on
1: for sure. I'm a, So this is something that XC racers in the rest of the country are probably not going to talk. Not going to explore much. But I think in Southern California, this thing is going to be this little, it's it's relatively inexpensive. It's available as a frame only. You can build it as a, you could pump track this bike, but you can also build it up for XC racing and have a huge edge on the downhills, but still have a hard tail for climbing. This thing is, it's the sleeper. It's relatively lightweight. We think it's about a four pound frame. I yeah, think so. I think. We
0: weighed one the other day. It was like low fours.
1: I think Eric said 4.2 pounds for a medium. Oh, that's
2: perfect my size. I was going to ask Tani that question.
1: There we go. So, well, I'm getting closer to building one of these bad boys up for XC racing as well. So, I, I think it's going to be good in the kind of the, some of the local steep stuff too. For
0: sure. Yeah, I, I, I can see that for sure. Mate, I think this might – could this be?
2: Hopefully this doesn't go by way of Natty Trials locally but could this be the comeback of hardtail hardtail riding
1: it it could be the bike looks good the shape the i saw the one at the live oak shop it looks really good the sh- the tubes are shaped really sweet um if if you're in the local area check them out they're in stock at the path bike shop both in tustin and live oak there's a, at least one or two in live oak
0: yeah and we have some frames in tustin
2: there was a medium hanging in the uh, – I think there's a full run of sizes hanging above the cash register at the Tustin at the shop. I may have to get one very soon. I'm kind of thinking the same. So, Donnie, you mentioned – and I, I had a brief conversation with Nathan about the sourcing boost
0: hubs. So right now, we have a Hope hub in stock. We have some I9 hubs on the way. We're expecting D T three fifties in about two weeks and then two forties maybe two months.
1: Okay. That's it. now for what it's worth, uh I was poking around the internet and it looks like you can get stands stock wheels with one forty eight option. Are you guys actually hearing that? I should look into that. Is that the three thirty hub? Uh you know, I don't know what hub they call so basically I was I was crunching the numbers in my head on what it was going to take to have an XC race ready Hanzo aluminum and I was looking at the Crest Complete wheels and it looks like there's some kind of option now with a 148 hub and I think they're doing magnetic poles. I have a feeling they're doing magnetic poles now. That's cool. Um, we
0: got a new source for DT hub based wheel sets where we're going to be able to do DT 350s with say like D T four oh one rims or stands rims if that's your preference Sweet. for for pretty close to the same price as just a stands standard wheel set.
1: Nice. And so if people are interested that that sounds like a really cool combination and um, so available in c-
0: boost in like two
1: weeks, I'm told. Nice. And so come into either the Tustin shop or the Tribuco Canyon shop or hey, just and Tani, you can confirm this. If we have any listeners that are interested in some of the really cool, very early stuff that the path gets its hands on, give them a call and you guys can ship.
0: We can ship some lines. Some of our lines have a dealer contract that prohibits mail order.
1: But if you're interested, um, give a call and at least find out the yeah. details. Or
0: email sales at the shop.com or call either
1: shop. But uh, definitely take a look at the website and watch as things come out because the, the Path, we're all local. We've, we're part of the shop. We know this. The Path has a really good buyer and guys that really watch the industry and typically whatever's new and really cool, they get it first. We try
2: there are a couple of the new Santa Cruz bikes sitting out front of the Tustin shop as well.
0: So if you want to take a look at the Bronson and the the new fifty ten cruise bike, those Bronsons sold. We'll have more soon. The fi- we still do have some fifty some some fifty ten two point os. Nice. Um, you know, for a future podcaster, maybe for this one, I have this idea. Maybe we could talk about. Um, fantasy Enduro venues for southern california. Oh, oh. dang, I want to jump on that, but we're
1: we're we're creeping up at about an hour 10 so far on this a episode. That that that's a teaser. I think I think that is a solid topic for the next show.
2: And this might be one of our this might be one of our first public podcasts and uh for those of you listening to this until the bitter end, just let your mind run wild on that fantasy as you go to sleep this evening.
1: There we go. Well, um I guess you guys feel like wrapping this one up. We uh I especially starting this podcast, I feel like we we have we've been friends for a really long time. We talk about bike stuff all the time and we could sit here and do an 8-hour podcast over and over and over. But we're hoping to trickle these out, have a good following. Hope you guys can enjoy these um at work or wherever. Um and hopefully we'll have lots of fun topics um, for you guys to listen to as uh, the months and years progress.
0: And we are interested in your participation. We want to know: Are we too so cal centric? Do you have a specific question that you'd like us to discuss or or topic? Um, and, you know anything else that you'd like to to help you know to add to the discussion? Please email to sales at
1: thepathbikeshop dot For sure. And with that, I guess signing off from uh, the Path Bike Shop in Tribuco Canyon. Uh, I'm Nathan. I'm Arc And I'm Tony. And have a good night, everybody. Thanks. Good night.